Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. So good to be together this morning, and uh, I add my words of welcome to those already given. Great to see you. If you're visiting with us, that's been great. First time here and all of that kind of thing, we're very, very grateful to have you here. The, uh, the one person that Simon left out of his discussion about where Hills Baptist Lobethal is going is Simon. How about you give him a hand for all he's been doing? Um, it's quite, quite an amazing thing, really, that uh, he, he is doing, along with Bree, of course, very supportive in that role. We are so grateful for the way that God has been leading these two and their family. And uh, I'd encourage you to keep praying for the whole team, but actually the whole church, as God builds and more people start coming to, uh, to share with us as church family. So that would be great. My name is John Smith. I'm the retired Baptist pastor of the outfit. I'm actually the tired one. That's, no, that's all right. That's, that's all right. Uh, so, but I, that's been a privilege for Heather, my wife. She's the one with the red hat on, in case you didn't. There she is. Um, it's just been great. We, we've so much enjoyed being part of what's happening here. I'm glad there's one or two more oldies coming now. We don't feel as if we're the actual top end of the, the outfit. You know, senior citizens waiting in God's waiting room and all that. Never. Never. <laughs> However... Um, I, uh, it's great. I talked to young Matt about cricket over here. He's a cricket fanatic. Did you know that? And uh, anyway, we won't go any further. Except I once met this old guy. You know? Do you know there's a competition uh, for sport for old people? Who knows that? I don't know much about it. I don't want to. But um, I did meet this old guy once. He's in his 70s. I wasn't 70 at the time. I thought he was old. But anyway... And uh, we were having this discussion about how good it was playing cricket and what it would be like to still be playing. And I said to him, and you can't see up at the back because we're just kind of on the same level, but I said, how do you get on when you go fielding? And this is what he did. He says, there's a lot of this. (laughs) In other words, you put your legs together and hope you stop the ball with your feet. (laughs) Might send that little memo to the English cricket team. But anyway... Let's, let's pray together, shall we? And uh, we, if you have your Bibles with you, Acts 11 would be the place to go. You'll need that there. Um, there's actually two sermons in this passage, but I've trimmed it down to one. Aren't you glad for that? All right. Father, thank you this morning that we're here together to hear your word and to know who you are in it. We pray for your hand to be upon us and we pray for open minds and hearts to hear what you've got to say. We ask this in the, in the good name of Jesus. Amen. Now I'm wondering, uh, thanks Rachel too for reading the passage for us, that's really great. I'm wondering if anybody really knew what would happen after the Holy Spirit fell on that first day of Pentecost. Maybe one or two uh, might have kind of gripped what was going to take place, but 
I'm very, well, who knows, but who would have guessed that within a short time a movement of people would emerge that actually became a group of people who challenged the status quo not only of the religious institutions that they were all part of, but actually changed the course of history. I don't, I, we used to sing a, a song about being history makers. Do you realise you're history makers? God, God is moving in all kinds of ways. And this group of people, they, it was actually... Uh, that early church, we, we, we often talk so much about the church and we think of the church more in institutionalised terms than we do. That early group of people were a movement of people. And as they, uh, the Spirit of God fell at Pentecost and came on them with great power and changed their lives and they saw who Messiah was and then they began to move and became a movement of people. They were never kind of static and in, in, uh, in the process, they challenged the status quo of just about everything they knew. And I wonder how many people really thought about that or knew about it. It's wise to be, you know, it is wise to be wise after the event, isn't it? But that's okay. That's okay because we're not, we don't have to know everything about the future. In fact, the old, the old thing that we used to sing about was, I don't know the future, but I know who holds that future. So in Acts chapter 10 to 11, we come across some very important chapters in the book of Acts, indeed in the whole Bible. And something quite wonderful happens in these chapters. It's so significant, I want you to hear this, it's so significant that you and I really cannot afford to be without it. This is a life-changing part of the Word of God. Because it's here that God breaks in, in an entirely new and unexpected thing. God breaks in, in my own personal readings this week, I've been in uh, Isaiah a couple of times, and God's the God of new. Say, God is the God of new. That was new. God, God, God is the God of new, yeah? He is the, the one who breaks in. He does new things all the time, unexpected. Now, here's the thing that he did that nobody expected. The Holy Spirit is given to all people, everybody, all people. And if you read those words in Acts chapter 2 where there's this account of the first Pentecost, it's quite stunning that God says he will pour out his Spirit on all flesh, everybody, which means, dear friends, that Despite the fact we may think contrary to this, the Spirit of God is already over the nation. It's already over the people. It's over he is over communities of people. Now, not everybody hears him or obeys him or becomes a follower of Jesus, but the Spirit of God is in our world all the time. Do you follow me in what I'm saying there? He always was, by the way. He always was. He brooded over the face of the waters at creation. There's never been a time that we've been without spirit, God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. But God breaks in in unexpected ways and he, he brings salvation to all people, which means we, if we're a Gentile, are included. God wants family. So do you see that if this event had never happened, we would not be Christians, we would not go to church 
And in fact, we would go to hell without Jesus if we, if we thought that salvation was only for the Jewish people. So these chapters are really important. So we meet a couple of key people. Uh, last week, Leona Stewart talked about this, this falling of the Spirit on the Gentiles. And in Acts chapter 11, there's a recapitulation of it, a retelling of that story, because Peter, who is now having to see that the Gentiles are loved by God, how about that? If you carry prejudice all your life, and then God breaks in in a way, and you suddenly have to see people in the way that God sees them, that is a huge challenge for people. Well, it is for me. I'll speak for myself. Yeah? Especially when I see certain things happen on TV. Like the football that I don't think that was the right decision there, umpire. I have no prejudice whatsoever. In fact, I had to change my prejudice because one of my sons became a football umpire. That altered my disposition radically. We carry prejudice. And the Jewish people carried huge prejudice against Gentile people, those outside the Jewish faith. There was some reciprocation in that reciprocity, if you like, in that as well, because the Gentiles didn't always love the Jews either. But there was this enormous prejudice that said, these people are not part of God's family. So when Peter has that experience of the, the, the funny picnic, you know, when all the food is laid down on the, on the sheet and it's taken up three times, he says, oh, I get what I never saw. And he goes up to Jerusalem and the people are saying, Peter, we know that the Spirit of God has fallen. He's fallen at Pentecost. We know that Messiah is actually Jesus. But what were you doing? What were you thinking about when you went into the house of a Gentile and you sat down and you ate meals with them? For goodness sakes, man, what are you doing? Because they simply would never do that. You would never ask a a Gentile person to come into your home as a Jew and, and eat with you and, and it would never happen the other way either. And so when, when in Acts 10.14, when Peter is confronted, he says, surely not, Lord, I, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. How about that? I've never eaten, I've never done anything like that. He wasn't so kind of self-righteous, he's just simply saying, I've kept your law and uh, our Jewish law says... We shouldn't eat bacon. We shouldn't eat, you know, snake or whatever. And here he all is on a sheet and, and the Lord's saying to Peter, you must eat this. And Peter no way. If you ever have a spot in your life when you say, no way, God, just watch out. <laughs> just watch out because there will be a way and God will show you that way. But however, I have a lot of sympathy for Peter. There are certain foods that I do not like and would rather not eat. And for my children, leastways, some of them, this applied to things like green peas and veggies. There's a mystery there. We had one son who could eat a whole meal, including ice cream, and spit the peas out afterwards. <laughs> How do you do that? How do you do that? But he could do it really good. 
So I have some sympathy for Peter when God says, everything that I give is absolutely clean and pure. And Peter's saying, no way. But it is God's way, yeah. And God speaks to him again, and it's pretty clear that God is on Peter's case and that a dramatic shift in his understanding of who God actually is takes place in his life. And he so struggles with the experience, so struggles, that God deals with him and there's a major shift. Gentiles and Jews don't mix. The Gentiles were considered to be unclean and not deserving of God or his salvation. And Peter knows all this, but then God says to him, don't you dare call anything impure that God has made clean. If you've ever had that kind of experience in your life where you've been confronted in that kind of way, I'm asking gently here, not out of, not accusatively at all, just gently. I mean, I certainly, from time to time, that happens in life and, you've, and, and all your values are confronted. The way you think about things, the way you think about people, what they represent, the values they hold. For us in the Christian church, this is quite a challenge when we see elements of our society, the kind of, the kind of moral decay that's hitting us, the kind of declension of values and things that we as Christians would hold dear and we see that being eroded and then all our values are being challenged, yeah? Do I get a yeah? yeah. And that actually shapes us to say, how do I actually respond to that? How do I respond to that? And maybe as you go away from here today, you'll, you'll want to work that through a bit in your life because it's, it's, it's not just what we hear on Sundays or in our own readings, which we all do, but it's, it's that thing of how do I actually live this out? When Peter went down to Caesarea, he's about to go on the most mind-blowing experience of his adventure of his life. And up until now, he's been fine with the Messiah movement. It's great. Jesus is really the Messiah and he's out there preaching strongly the resurrection and he's proclaiming the good news but it's not ever crossed his mind that Jesus is for the Gentiles as well. Well, the rest is important history. Peter meets Cornelius, we've read about it and uh, God is such a troubler in Peter's life but he has to admit something. First up, Peter has to admit that he thought God was only going to save the Jews, but he was wrong, very mistaken. He wouldn't be the first in biblical history to do that. There's a bloke called Jonah. Who's read the book of Jonah? Is it a fish or a whale? All those for whale? All those for fish? For those who don't know? Jonah's a great story, isn't it? But right at the end, he's so cranky with God. He's so cross with God because, because God has the temerity to save 120,000 Gentile people who were considered some of the worst sinners that you'd ever meet. So Peter has to read his Bible a bit. And what he discovers, that God has never shown favoritism. Do you hear that? God has never shown favoritism. In Deuteronomy, it says, for the Lord, in verse 17 of chapter 10, for the Lord your God is a God of gods and a Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. How about that? Your God is a God who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. What about that? Wouldn't that be interesting in our world right now, by the way? He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien. 
giving him food and clothing. And verse 19 says, And you are to love those who are aliens, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. And in 2 Chronicles 19, verse 7, Now let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Judge carefully, for with the Lord our God there is no injustice or partiality or bribery. It's all there. It was all there in the word of God, but somehow it hadn't come home to Peter and to those who followed the Jewish faith. Somehow they didn't connect up to dots. But that's not a criticism, is it? That's easy for any of us to do. Connecting up the dots is hard work sometimes. It's so easy to be blind. It's so easy to be blindsided to truth and what is actually true. But here is the message and of the New Testament. God wants all people to be saved. Not just some people. He just doesn't choose a few. I'll save you and you, but not you. The message of God's love through the cross is that he loves every single person, every boy, every girl, every woman, every man. And the reason that Jesus hasn't come back yet is he's just waiting for the Father to say, come. Meantime, the Father's arms are held out to all people, come home to me, and that's grace and that's mercy. Everybody who asks Jesus into their lives is accepted by God. Doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter what your colour of your skin is, doesn't matter what your background is, doesn't matter whether you're a doctor, a tinker, a tailor, a soldier, a sailor, a thief, a beggar man. God wants you to be saved. And when Peter gets that, he, he preaches the gospel about how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how about where he went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And Peter says, we're witnesses to what happened. And what I love about that story is the beginning of Acts that, uh, 11 that Rachel read to us in, in chapter 10. What I love more than anything is that Peter's busy preaching his, his sermon, but he doesn't get through because the Holy Spirit falls before he's finished. How about that? God didn't need the preacher to go the whole way with the sermon. So, okay, I'm done. I'll see, <laughs> see you later. The Spirit of God fell and they broke out some speaking tongues, prophesying, which is all part of the great move of the Spirit, showing who he is. That's what all that is about, demonstrating in power. It's such an incredible thing. And then, uh, oh, is there water to be baptised? Well, we should baptise them. And in other places in the Bible, the, the, the uh, baptism happens first and then the Spirit falls don't worry about trying to work out all our neat little doctrines and how it happens. What happens is that the Spirit of God falls and the Gentiles suddenly say, hey, Jesus died for us as well. Now we know forgiveness of sins. And my friends, that's why you're in a little place called Lobethal on the map of this great big globe saying, we want to tell the Lobethalians, there's a new word for you, Simon, about Jesus. How about that? Up the back, can you hear that? Hello? <laughs> Don't worry, I used to be a farmer. It'll get better. I could call the cows from several miles away. It's all right. I'm not saying there were cows or sheep. I'm just saying it's about the use of my voice, right? 
Am I forgiven? Cool. You'll all turn around and have a look at what's going up the back there. So now the hated Gentiles are in, they're part of the family of God. And in fact, the description is that the gift of the Holy Spirit has been poured out even on the Gentiles. And Peter is so blessed. He sees it, he gets it, he understands about it, he, he, he sees what's happening. And then, and then he has to go and face the interrogation. He goes up to Jerusalem and they say, what were you doing? And he tells them the story. How about that? And because of that, you and I are in church this morning. And because of that, you and I know that death is not the end of it. Yep. And because of that, you and I know resurrection happens. I recently watched a little thing from Pastor Tim Keller, who recently died and went to be with the Lord. Great preacher, great man of God. And he said, he and his wife had been talking about the fact he had this, this cancer that took his life, yeah? And he said, Kath and I talked about this and talked about it. And they said, you know what? If Jesus is the Jesus of the resurrection, it's okay. Folks, it's okay. He's alive. And so Peter going up to Jerusalem now tells them that the Gentiles in and all that matters is the one new humanity. It's the one new race. Now, I have thought a lot about what I'm going to say to you in the next minute or so over the whole week and for a long time. So I want to be heard clearly and not misheard, but I want to try and make it as clear as possible. There is only one race. There is only one race. Vody Borkman, who is a, a, a well-known American preacher, good guy, good preacher, if you see any of him. I was listening to him one day and he said something and I thought, why hadn't I seen that before? He says, there's only one race, the human race. There's not all coloured races. There's one race, the human race. But there are, according to the Bible, ethnicities. So when we have that passage in Matthew 28, which says, go and preach the gospel to all the nations, so how we translate it, it's actually to all the people groups, the ethne, the, the ethnic, the, those who have... Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's just the race. Now, here's where it's even more more uh, mind-blowing, but fantastic. Paul, writing in Ephesians two years later, says there is only one race, Jew and Gentile, whom God has made one through the cross. Do you follow what I'm saying? It's only through the cross there's one race, the people of God. I would love us to be prayerful about that because we are in the midst of a political swirl in our nation that's absolutely of great and deep concern. We're not about races, we're about one. So you'll appreciate why I've thought long and hard about it. 
Because I want the world to understand there's only one race. There are no divisions in people. There are no special people, brilliant people, whatever, whatever. No better because you're this or that or whatever. We are just one people. And that is the miracle of what happened when the Spirit of God fell in that so-called Gentile Pentecost. Because here you had Jews who absolutely loathed the Gentiles and the Gentiles absolutely loathed the Jews. In fact, some of the rhetoric coming out of uh, ancient sort of Judaism was that, you know, I thank God that I'm, I'm not a Gentile. And some of them say the Gentiles are made for the fires of hell. And God's saying, oh, no, they weren't. They were made for my family. And my family came to be because my son went to the tree. Are you with me? So in your prayers for what's happening in our nation right now, pray into it. If ever we needed to hear a word to bring us together, it's right now. Well, that's sermon one. <laughs> And it went longer than I anticipated. However, we can do the next bit fairly quickly, but, but it, deserves, it deserves, well, we should just get on with it. Here's another amazing thing that happened. There's this kind of official event that takes place where Peter is summoned by Cornelius. You know the story by now and... The Spirit of God falls. But in the meantime, over in the back blocks, in the boondocks or whatever, there are people who don't care anyway. And some of these, these people who are unnamed in the Bible just start going. And you know what they do? They're Jews, but they start talking to the Gentiles about Jesus. And over there in a place called Antioch, and there are several Antiochs in the Scripture. I haven't got time to go into the geography and all that stuff. But this place called Antioch, these... People are they're crossing the racial divide. And they begin to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And lo and behold, a church springs up. That's amazing. They didn't even ask permission. How about that? What a, what a problem it is when, uh, when we get our churches institutionalised and we have to ask permission to do things. Oh, goodness me. And here they are saying, oh, you know, I'll just go and preach. And they did. It's quite amazing, isn't it? Don't you think? Oh, I think it is. These just unknown evangelists and they're out there preaching. There's always been the way for Christians. God always breaks out with people who don't always get it what we want them to do. They just go do it. And suddenly people are coming to the Lord. And, and uh, they, some have been martyred for the faith and they started spreading the, the story of Stephen and they started preaching the resurrection and they literally gossiped the gospel. Now here... My first point out of this rest of the chapter that Rachel read so well to us is to give you permission to be a gossip. Did you get that up the back? You're allowed to be a gossip. Come on, turn to somebody and say, you can be a gossip if you like. There you go. That wasn't very convincing. Come on. Now, there's a qualification. There's a qualification around your gossip. You've got to gossip about Jesus. How about that? And that's what these people did. Everywhere they went, they literally talked about Jesus. And the church springs up and, and verse 20 tells us they were telling the good news about Jesus. Notice what it is. It's the good news about Jesus. 
I heard a story once of a paper. Somebody in America was so sick of the, of the bad news they had decided to, to, to um, uh, start a good news newspaper. Only problem is they went broke because nobody wanted to read the good news. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens. You know, we, uh, do you ever watch the news? Yeah, well, you probably do or you don't. I don't know. But isn't it amazing that it's story after story? One of my son-in-laws calls it the crime report. You know, it's why over and over and over and over again. And then you pop in a little, you know, a little bit of ray of whatever and uh, we think it's all good. But we just get attracted to all the bad, don't we? There's a propensity within all of us. You know, and Aussies really face some struggles with this because we, we are good at the but, you know, the but, not the biblical but. If you find the word but in the Bible, look for the thing that comes after us because it's always pretty good. It's always about grace and mercy. And we tend to say, well, old Johnny's not a bad old bloke, but that sort of thing. We're well known for tearing down the tall poppies. We want good news. I mean, what could be better news than telling somebody you don't have to fear death? You don't have to be scared about dying. You can know what's going to happen after death. Yes, there is a God. He made the universe and everything that's in it. He is an amazing God. And you're going to have his arms wrapped around you for eternity. Hey? That's good news. And people are showing up in droves in this church in Antioch. Here's the very first Gentile church. It's growing. It's busting the doors down. Now, in this mix, become, there becomes a super in, encourager into this city at Antioch. Antioch's about uh, 300,000, 500,000 people. It's, uh, it's a commercial city, but it's noted for its immorality. And here's an issue. God always plonks something good in the midst of bad. Do you follow that? See, we get so worried about everything that's going on in our world today, but God chooses to plant his people and his message in the midst of bad. Why? Because he loves people and he doesn't care what they've done. In fact, 1 Corinthians 6, he says to the Corinthians when they are getting themselves into a bit of strife, he said, some of you were homosexuals once, some of you were immoral, some of you were adulterers, some of you were, he uses the word, in Greek, it's the aorist tense, which means once and for all you were like that, but now Jesus has come and you're totally different. And where did he do that? In Corinth. Did you realise there's a temple in Corinth? 2,000 temple prostitutes come out and ply their trade in the streets of Corinth. And Paul says, yes, yeah, some of you were like that, but you're not like that any longer. God loves the sinner. We need to hear that. Yes, he loves you whether you've not gone into that kind of stuff, he loves you because every human being, according to Romans chapter 3, verse 23, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So even Mother Teresa or Billy Graham, can, as somebody pointed out once, can never reach the exacting high righteous standard of God. Everybody falls short, right? But God loves us. So Antioch hears the word of God. And right there, God plants a church, Simon. How about that? 
and the Lord's hand was with them, which is fantastic. And pretty soon, did, did you just hear what I said? The Lord's hand was with them. The Lord's hand is with Hills Baptist Lobethal. You're not ahead doing this all by your little old selves or my little old self. God's hand is on us. Because he actually wants to get into the lives of people whom you love and whom he loves. But it's growing so quickly and the news of this church expansion happens to get back to Mother Church in Jerusalem. So they say, we better send somebody over there to check it out. There's nothing wrong with that. That's good. But they send Barnabas. Now, what a man is Barnabas? I could spend, there's another sermon in here, Mm -hmm. uh, number three, number four, just to tell you about Barnabas. Barnabas is an amazing guy. He witnesses the grace of God. He rejoices. He encourages them. His word actually means encourager, son of encouragement. They said, he's his nickname. And he goes across to Antioch and he he says, wow, there's something really happening here. But there was one thing missing to a degree. He knew that his gift, his primary gift, if you like, was encouraging people, Jeff. It was building them up and encouraging them in the Lord. But he needed somebody else to actually come across to Antioch and teach the church. So what's he do? He goes and looks for Saul. That's an amazing thing. And he finds Saul. Because he knows the church needs to be grounded in the faith. And he knows that new converts need to be anchored in their faith. And so he gets Saul. An old commentator by the name of Campbell Morgan says Barnabas literally hunted Saul up. Well, I checked the Greek on that and he's he's round the mark. He actually searched for him. He he wasn't just going to say, do you know where Saul is? I mean, no, no text messages or anything in those days. He had to literally walk over there and find this man. And he brought Saul back, who later becomes Paul, and they begin a team ministry in the church that builds the church up. And for one whole year, the church is made solid by these two men of God. Desperately needed today, selfless acts that lead the church to growth and consolidation. So Barnabas is all about the gospel. And he knows, now listen to this carefully, he knows that teaching is desperately needed. We need to... We need to be taught. That'll go. It's okay. I heard a a good uh, preacher once by the name of Dick Lucas who wrote some commentaries on the Bible, etc. And he said, you know, when the Welsh revival happened, if you go into Wales today and drive through Wales, you'll see lots lots of evidence of when the Welsh revival happened. But you'll also see places that used to be chapels that had hundreds of people in them worshipping God, all boarded up or made into a restaurant or whatever. And he said, what happened in the world? People got excited if it happened. Thousands of people came to the Lord. There's no doubt about it. But there was a kind of a resistance to being taught. Wherever God moves, you need teaching, folks. Another friend that I've heard I actually have corresponded with this man. Peter Adams used to be principal of Ridley College in Melbourne. He said once, you need a Bible plus a teacher. And it's kind of right. Not entirely, but kind of right. And Barnabas knew that. 
See, the only thing that sustains the church in the face of persecution or famine or whatever the case may be is to be grounded deeply in the word of God. That's what teaching is about. The third thing is this church gets into action. There's the very first bus ministry in the Bible, in case we go a bus, or Zaga bus, but that's a terrible joke. Not original with me, but anyway, I like Agabus. bus, he started a bus ministry. And the church has moved to compassion. He prophesies there's going to be a famine, the famine takes place, the church picks up a whole bunch of money and sends it off to alleviate the needs of people who are going through things. What an incredible church, yeah? Now, you might have known, as I've got, or noticed as I've gone through, that I, I didn't mention the word Christian. If you're a Christian today, think, you can thank Antioch for that. They first were called Christians at Antioch. Verse 25, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. I love that great numbers of people. Yeah? The disciples were first uh, called Christians at Antioch, or were called Christians first at Antioch. I heard somebody, I can't remember his name, preaches a sermon at Morfitt Vale way back in my past. He said that it was Christ in, the Christian, Christ in. How keen are you on the term Christian? For some people to be called a Christian would fill them with horror and revulsion. They would not like it at all. For some, the problem is all tied up with how you live. For no matter which way you look at it, what you say, how, you, how people perceive you, if you call yourself a Christian today, there are certain things that are attached to that statement. My wife and I were walking through the streets of Hobart one day and we were accosted by a fellow who was promulgating uh, a certain society um, and we heard his spiel and then I, I opened my mouth which was a mistake but I did and I said there is another story to tell and without a word of a lie he rounded on me and said you and the expletives I can't repeat Christian he didn't want to hear me talk about the creation story For instance, people expect you, if you're a Christian, to have certain behavioural standards, yes? They expect a certain type of morality. Oh, that man calls himself a Christian. That woman calls herself a Christian. People think that a Christian is a kind of good person, sometimes a real goody-goody, sometimes a, a better self-righteous person. And people sometimes think that what makes a person a Christian is all the good things they do, and because of all the good things they do, someday they'll get to heaven, the scales will just tip in their favour, and God will say, come in, because you've done all these goody things. Rarely do people understand what really it is and what it really means to be a Christian. Yes, it was first applied, that term, in Antioch. What is a Christian? Very simply, somebody who has let Jesus take control of their life. Somebody who follows Jesus. At Antioch, the name was actually a kind of a, a nickname, even a bit of ridicule or a joke. They talked about themselves, actually, these early people, as the people of the way, the brethren, the disciples, not Christians. 
but the name stuck and the name took. You are a Christian if you've been born again into the kingdom of God. You're a Christian if you've said, you know what? As Simon read to us from Romans 8 earlier, and I'm so thankful that he did to remind us that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. It's about a person who's given their lives to Jesus, yeah? It's about a person who says the cross is the only thing. I can do nothing to save myself from my sin. It's a person who gets before God and says, Jesus, come into my life, take over. I haven't got anything to offer you whatsoever. No, good, no goodness, nothing. I'm hopeless. I'm a sinner. But please forgive my sin, a person who comes to see that. So, we didn't do too bad getting through all this. Here's some conclusion things for you, and I do have something I'm going to ask you to do. Oh, if you want to. <laughs> you won't have to. Yeah, Simon will do it. He's, Simon's going to hand out some uh, pieces of paper and a pen. There's no compulsion here whatsoever, by the way, okay? So let it pass. It's entirely up to you. But I'll keep the mystery going for a little bit longer. So as those things are coming around, can we take away these things today? Firstly, we want people who will gossip the gospel, yes? And you might want to put your hand up to be one of those people. And you probably already are. So this is, this is not you've got to go do. This is just, hey, if we can, yeah? Just to open our mouths and whatever opportunities, whether it be as we go through the checkout, you know, to say God bless to the checkout person is better to say you owe me some money, right? So just to learn to gossip the gospel. I'm also going to talk a little bit in a moment about encouragement. What does it mean for me to step into the space and become a person who uses the gift of encouragement? I'll come back to that. I also want to encourage you to be people that go deep into the Word of God. That You feed yourself. It's so vital to feed yourself. I, my old uh, supervising pastor used to say, a Christian is like a three-legged stool. You need the worship of the whole community. You need a small group where you thrash out the depths of the faith and you need your own personal devotional life. And if you knock one of those legs of the stool out, the stool will fall over. It was so helpful way, way back in the day, 40 plus years ago, right? So can I encourage us to go deep into the word of God? And then the, the last thing is, is, is to be people whose faith is real and active. So what we take and what we learn and what we do then means we start looking out just as, uh, I, I won't get the pronunciation, where's your daughter going, Simon? Ho hidei. I got it right for the first time in my life. So we go out and we meet the needs of people round about us. So here are the actions for today that I'm going to encourage us. Firstly, if, you have, if you're here today and you've never, ever given your life to Jesus, I'd love to talk to you about that. Come and talk to me or to Simon afterwards. It might be your day for you to say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to, be, I'm going to get real with you and I want to give my life to you. The second thing is, for us all, I'd like you to think about somebody that you know that needs encouragement in some way or another. 
And sometimes I've found I can, I can listen to sermons. I've, I've also preached a few, hundred, thousands. It's very scary when you think about all of that, to think how many times did I actually do... Anyway, I'll leave that. You can work it out. So sometimes if we nail it, it's a good thing. And I'm thinking if I could write down in my piece of paper, which I didn't get one, so it's good. I've been... I'm, no, no, it's all right. But, ah, oh, Dan, you are the man. Oh, half of one. I can write down for half a person. I'd like you to think about somebody that you know that just needs that little bit of encouragement. So you could do it by text. Oh, I've got a red pen. But you could do it by text. You could do it by uh, just... You, could, you don't have to do it if you don't want to. You can put it in your head. That's fine. You might think, I'll bake him a cake. I certainly won't write that on my piece of paper. You might think, I'll go and see them, or whatever. But the reason for it is if you, you actually do that now and fold it up, take it home, or put it on your phone, I don't care how you go about that, that somebody somewhere in your life is going to hear encouragement, not only from you, but from God himself. How about that? So just a couple of moments to do that, and... Uh, Chris, I think if we came up and we sang our last song, and maybe I'll come back and pray after that. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.